This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk. Welcome to The Phoenix Files. I'm James Fitzgerald, Senior Reporter for New Model Advisor. Thousands of people were affected by the British Steel Pension Scandal. They were left vulnerable and helpless and unsure of how they'll be able to afford their retirement. In May 2017, Tata, which owned the British Steel Pension Scheme, reached an agreement to move the scheme off its books. This followed a year of talks with the pensions regulator. This meant around 40,000 steel workers had to choose whether to go into the Pension Protection Fund a new British Steel Pension Scheme, or transfer out of their gold-plated pensions altogether. That's when the trouble started. Throughout this period, a flock of advisors sped down to towns with high concentrations of steel workers, such as Scunthorpe, Teesside and Port Talbot, to advise those steel workers on their options. What followed was a mis-selling frenzy by IFAs, which was not helped by poor communication from British Steel, its trustees and the FCA. About 8,000 steel workers, mainly from Wales, collectively transferred around 2.8 billion from the firm's scheme in 2017, with many of those steel workers' pensions ending up in risky investments, which have either massively lost value or gone bust. The FCA has acted since the scandal came to light, such as initiating enforcement action against many IFAs and closing many more. But many in the industry say its actions were too little, too late. Nearly six years later, the scandal is still ongoing, but there might be light at the end of the tunnel. As only the other month, the FCA finally announced it is proposing a redress scheme to compensate steel workers. But the end of the British steel mis-selling saga, which upended so many working people's lives, still seems a long way off. Over the next four weeks, we'll be taking over the advice show, where I'll be giving you insight into financial advisors, pension experts, and those affected by the British steel pension scheme scandal. I'll be exploring how widely the scandal disrupted people's lives, and what is still left to be done about it. Welcome to episode one. A man at the heart of the scandal, Richard Caddy, a shift manager for British Steel and Teesside, painted me a picture of the severity of the misconduct. The firm were looking at modifying the scheme even further. Um, Obviously, a lot of people were afraid of entering the PPF. Uh, The PPF was always painted as a a black option for members. Um, The full facts weren't provided for a lot of members who did uh, look towards early retirement. Uh, basically, there, there was a big cohort of members that would have been better off choosing the PPF. Um, both schemes that we were looking at were, were offering guarantees. Um, uh, third option, which was on the table, was to transfer. The transfer values had been increased to a significant amount. Um, and basically, a lot of members looked at the right option of being transferring and the funds the amount being in the pension, being under their own control. And and a lot of this really was, was put into the members' minds because they were going to sit with an advisor who, in many cases, I, I think the advisors probably encouraged the, the wrong form of a transfer, meaning basically you can 
pass the pension on as inheritance. You can retire early without the reductions that you would see from the scheme um, uh, and things like that, really. It, it was a big mixture of things. And we were sort of just put in a position where you had to make this life-changing decision within within a matter of months. Um, we were all probably like headless chickens running around, not sure what was the right thing to do. So going to sit with an advisor, um, we were told that transferring in many cases was the right thing to do. He took us through the process that workers were exposed to when being asked to transfer their pensions. We were seeing lots of other people um, transferring, managers, directors, even one of the... Um, trustees of the scheme was looking at transferring so we all would just we just thought it was the right thing to do we weren't aware of what the process at the time should have looked like um looking back in hindsight that that might have made a big difference if we had information to say if you visit an advisor this is what they should be doing instead i saw multiple cases basically where it was a Nothing longer than a 30-minute meeting, um, forms on the table, all signed and the transfer being processed. The first meetings that we saw were uh, from the trustees, uh, basically. They held local meetings. Unfortunately, I was on the wrong shifts and did miss the meetings, but I did get some feedback. Um, it wasn't good. Uh, basically, as I say, it was just backed up this fear of if we don't do things now, uh, potentially we'll end up in the PPF. It was actually mentioned by one of the people giving the meetings, saying, well, if you don't take the transfer value now, chances are you won't never get offered that amount again. Um, I don't know. It just felt as though there, was, there wasn't much discouragement there from transferring. From all avenues, that's, you know, the financial services themselves, the trustees, the scheme, the employer... It all became about us losing pension rights, basically, in with the aim of saving a business, which it has achieved that. Um, but there's a lot of members that, that have been through a process which was just time-bound uh, to make these decisions. Um, we felt we were seeing a regulated advisor who followed all the rules, and we've just seen so many areas where that isn't actually the case. He thinks there are many contributing factors to what happened. I don't just put it down to the FCA. Um, I believe that the FCA themselves, and I was only just thinking back on this the other day, really. Uh, the first regulators obviously involved were uh, TPR themselves. Um, that it, I'm saying that members were headless chickens. I think the regulators were as well. There was there was no communications um, between TPR and FCA, as we've heard. Um, yeah, the, the whole process, just from start to finish, it was just kind of a fiasco, really. Pensions and Retirement spokesperson at Hargraves Lansdowne, Helen Morrissey, believes those affected by the scandal weren't given enough support. A lot of these people, they've been um, working for British Steel you know, throughout their entire you know, working lives in many cases. You know, um, they, they did it with an expectation of a decent retirement income at the end of that. Um, now, the vast majority of people don't live in pension lands. They don't get the um, the implications of a lot of these decisions. And they're asked to make these very, very complex decisions about what scheme to go into, um, you know, how that might affect them, um, you know, within, I think, the time to choose 
window was only a couple of months and you know if you go in to do that and you know i get that they were restructuring you know the 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 company itself was 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 in um, financial difficulty but you've got to kind of set apart from that of you know what was the best thing for these people and they needed more time and they needed more support to make those decisions Added to that, you know, we had, you know, some advisors whose motivations uh, were maybe a bit more self-interest um, than, than getting the best deal for their um, for, for their clients. So, you know, there were a lot of factors that played into the British Steel um, situation. It's definitely not a case of laying the blame at the door of the pension freedoms. She thinks more preparation into the introduction of pension freedoms was needed before anything was offered to workers. There wasn't much evidence to show that other alternatives had been looked at. Um, so, you know, as you say, there's, there's this thing of, you know, advisors being unprepared, but you know, there were definitely instances of some advisors, you know, maybe putting a bit of self-interest first and, and, and not looking at the overall picture of their client's financial um, situation and giving the right advice um, reflective of that, I get that they were restructuring. You know, the 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 company itself was 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 in um, financial difficulty. But you've got to kind of set apart from that of you know what was the best thing for these people, and they needed more time and they needed more support to make those decisions. It will have played a part in in some of the cases. Um, the idea that you know you only get paid. Um, if action is taken, is, 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 will have been an incentive in some of the cases. Al Rush, who's more commonly known as the Port Talbot pensions paramedic, still receives calls daily from those affected. He thinks there's a long way to go until everyone is fully compensated. What did the steelworkers go through? Well, um, what are the steelworkers still going through, I think, is the more relevant question. Um, five years on, there are still hundreds of steel workers who are uncertain. I know that probably sounds bizarre given the level of publicity that's been attached to this, but many steel workers are fighting what they feel, and I agree, unfair compensation. Um, they are fighting to get their retirements back. Um, but what did they go through at the start? I think they just went through a period of frantic, mad panic. They had two or three months to make a decision that was going to be life-changing for them. They were, or they are, financially unsophisticated men, engineers in their mid-40s and 50s mainly, who had never had to give a single thought to retirement. And all of a sudden, they had a few months to make this decision about whether or not to move their pensions. They were told that if they didn't move it, they would probably lose it. The steelworks at Port Talbot, for instance, would close down. Um, and... Everything that they were told was that whatever you want to do, mate, you don't want to go into PPF. So none of them wanted to make a million quid. They were just terrified that they would lose the retirements that they had worked so hard for. I got involved five years ago um, through various reasons and means. I grew up in Port Talbot. I'm English, but I grew up in this steel town. And it's the place that I call home. So when it cropped up, um, I nipped down a few times to chat with mates who were caught in this predicament um, in November. I invited Henry Tapper to come down with me um, and we chatted with a few steel workers at Taibach Rugby Club. Um, and at the time, there was just one errant IFA on the radar, a guy called Darren Reynolds, and we generally thought it would be over in the matter of weeks, a month or so, and then we'd all get back 
to our normal day jobs back, back you know, we get our lives back but it didn't turn out like that um, and five years on crikey it, it's still going on he saw too many cases whose lives were turned upside down by the scandal there are so many cases of worse conduct it's difficult to prioritize and categorize them let me try and think of some of the more egregious ones um, there was one steel worker um, I know who um, was injured on active service in the Middle East. Now, this guy, to look at him, you would think that he could look after himself, he was handy, and he is. However, he was reduced to hiding in his house when the steel worker, sorry, when the advisor kept pestering him by hammering on his door um, at all hours, trying to get him to sign up. These people aren't confrontational. They just do a hard job and they want a quiet life. Other cases, people would say that they're washing their cars, an advisor would pull up alongside outside the house on Saturday morning, thrust a bit of paper at them and say, come on, sign it, you may as well just do it, you're going to lose your pension. Um, there have been instances where advisors have left answer phone messages and I've heard them and they defy belief, some of these messages. There are threats, if you continue to put this complaint against me, I will take you to court, I will make you bankrupt, I will have you out of your house and home. Um, and worse, it's just difficult to remember all of them because they tend to blow into one now. However, he believed that not all IFAs and the British Steel Pension Scheme and employers were to blame. I think it's really important to bear in mind that when we talk about IFAs and BSPS, yep, there, there are many who have acted badly, but there were also very many who acted honourably, I think. Uh, and just because a bridge falls down, we don't all start lambasting all architects and all engineers. Um, I think it's really unfortunate that IFAs have been brought into this generally and castigated widely and unfairly. Many IFAs got together at the start of this, sometime in, well, it was autumn, November, 2017 and they set up groups where they tried to counsel steel workers as to their options um, there was no financial imperative for them there was no commercial aspect they just deployed to the various steel sites around the UK sat down with steel workers and their partners and tried to give them facts calmly and rationally um, on the other side at the other flip side of the coin um, many IFAs didn't act as well and I think it's important to bear in mind that an IFA, like any professional, can make an honest mistake. That's the first thing to bear in mind. It doesn't mean to say that they're corrupt or bent. But many IFAs went into this process systemically with the idea of parting somebody's pension pot from the sense of security and guarantee that they had. And that was the most important thing to the professional, to the IFA. Um, and when it was done systemically, many took the view towards the end, well, you know what, if I don't transfer this guy out, somebody else is going to do it, so I may as well do it. So there was a complete loss of moral compass. Also in Wales, Labour MP for Glenelg Gwent, Nick Smith, says he thinks there were contradictions from the start. I think um, the way that the uh, Financial Conduct Authority um, looked at uh, pension freedoms, uh, DB pensions, and its policy and how it um, uh, gave signals to the market was important in all of this. And I, I've been dwelling on it. And we did talk about the subject a little at the last Public Accounts Committee hearing, when we hear from the uh, uh, heads of the FCA. 
and it seemed to me that you know um there, there was a contradiction there and policy from the fca and recommendations about how to handle db transfers to um, ifas was contrary uh, and ambiguous so i think there was a problem and i think uh, everybody who gave advice about um two steel workers uh, then about moving away from their db pension should say to themselves uh, was this in the best interests or not of the steel worker and um by and large uh, um, the uh, view is that db pensions are very good pensions and they support families into um, uh, retirement and um, uh, moving away from them uh, in a complex world of pensions to steel workers who were vulnerable um, consumers um, is something that I think IFAs need to ask themselves about and say, well, was this the right thing to do? Now, everybody's different and the circumstances are different and the uh, discussions that would have taken place between the IFAs and the steel workers is at the core of this. Um, but uh, in the round, I, I put the challenge back to IFAs and say, hand on heart, did you think this was the right thing to do at the time? And all of that will now come out of the woodwork, won't it? Overall, I think this is a story of vulnerable steelworkers, uh, some exploitative financial advisors, and an ineffective regulator. But all of this did flow out of the pensions freedoms introduced under the, what was the Cameron Clegg government, wasn't it? Um, promoted by George Osborne. And I think uh, that question does lay um, within the back of all of this. And I think um, the way that the uh, Financial Conduct Authority um, looked at uh, pension freedoms, uh, DB pensions, and its policy, and how it um, uh, gave signals to the market was important in all of this and i i've been dwelling on it and we did talk about the subject a little at the last public accounts committee hearing when we hear from the uh, uh heads of the fca and it seemed to me that you know um there, there was a contradiction there and policy from the fca and recommendations about how to handle db transfers to um, ifas was contrary uh, and ambiguous so I think there was a problem. Associate for Clark Wilmot, a law firm that's representing affected steelworkers, Mamanul Wahid, explained how their clients are affected by the scandal. So our clients have gone through a lot in the last four or five years. If you think back to 2016 and from 2016 to 2018, there was a lot of uncertainty and in particular towards the end of the time to choose period, so from October 2017 onwards, um, steel workers were, f uh, were, were faced with a situation where they had to make an incredibly complicated decision in respect of their pension in a short amount of time. Um, and it led to, yeah, s over 7,000 steel workers making an irreversible decision to transfer uh, and leave a, a gold-plated pension scheme. And um, our experience in the, in, the, in the months and years since has been, it's, it's been difficult trying to... Um, 
uh, spread the word really about um, or, or getting steelworkers to question uh, the advice that they originally had because often steelworkers they they made the decision to transfer because they felt they they were taking control of their destiny they saw uncertainty around them in relation to their pension something that they worked their whole life for um, and they thought that the option of transferring out and take it un- taking it under control as it were was the safest option and of course it wasn't and it's meant that um, they're very likely to suffer reduced income in retirement and um, it's taken time but um, well many years in fact but the, the recent announcement uh, in relation to the proposed redress scheme is fantastic because it will very likely mean if it comes into effect um, more steel workers um, getting the compensation that they're owed in respect of their pension transfers. He said different types of advisors had very distinct roles and responsibilities that ultimately left a mark on those involved. I think advisors, um, our view of advisors is broadly, uh, having worked in these files for two, two years now, advisors really do fall into two groups. So you have those group, th- the first group of advisors that indiscriminately advised waves of clients to transfer out and, and showed really a, a reckless disregard for the interests of their clients. You know, these are the egregious players that you mentioned who are now looking to cut and run. And I've seen enough files now to know that initially those advisors were quite discerning when it came to picking and advising um, which clients they would be advising to transfer. But they seem to, you know, further along as events kind of proceeded, they they seem to have developed the mentality, well, if I don't transfer this steelworker out, you know, someone will um, and a couple of cases really spring to mind there's the there's the pension transfer specialist who um, turned up to the introducing advisors offices in a shorts and t-shirt on his way home from holiday um, and had a, a five-minute meeting with a steelworker and the transfer was done there was another advisor who advised um, a client to transfer over a pint in the pub Another advisor who advised a client uh, who discharged papers for a transfer who were advised in a um, service station, um, you know, petrol pump. Um, Really, the quality of files and the threshold of suitability really did drop, um, plummeted really as the time to choose exercise started. Um, So, yeah, I take a very dim view of those advisors. And, and yes, something does need to be done. To, to prevent phoenixing because it is happening and we do report it to the regulator. Um, in terms of solutions, um, I don't know whether the, in terms of professional indemnity insurance, whether we move to a model where individual advisors are individually insured so that their personal record is assessed um, by insurers and, and so bu- thereby letting market forces effectively um, take out bad actors because it seems as though the FCA is just, just too slow. Um, then you have the second group of advisors that um, were discerning, but they simply made the mistake of thinking that they could just simply transact what um, a consumer or steelworker thought he wanted or what she thought they wanted, what she wanted. You know, flexibility, control, death benefits, these all sound attractive to a steelworker. But they come with trade-offs, in particular income security and retirement, um, f- f- where someone has nothing else to support themselves. 
I wouldn't call these advisors rogue advisors. They're negligent advisors. Um, they, they didn't understand their role, uh, which was more than just to, to, to transact, which was to give a suitable recommendation. Um, and they were negligent. So that second group of advisors is negligent. So these, these, this group of advisors less likely to Phoenix because they probably did less work overall. Um, but yeah, they were still negligent. Thank you for listening to the first episode of Phoenix Files. If you want to get in touch about anything we've spoken about, please contact me at jfitzgerald at citywire.co.uk. Stay tuned next Monday for our second episode. This is a CityWire Studios production and the producer was Neve Doyle. This CityWire podcast is sponsored by Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Scottish Mortgage invests in some of the world's most promising and exceptional companies, from healthcare breakthroughs to electric vehicles to a green energy revolution. Scottish Mortgage takes stakes in businesses shaping our future economy and society. As with any investment, capital is at risk.